been looking at this letter um, of 1 John, his first epistle, and uh, it's an expository process, meaning we're looking at it verse by verse, word by word, and last week... We didn't even make any progress, did we? Because last week we reviewed what we were looking at the week before. And sometimes and that's, that can be progress. Thank you for making the point. And that can be progress in, in an expository uh, method. It's really about just take your time. And what does it say and what does it mean? We really need to know what God's word means, because what's the danger if we don't know what it means? We'll make our own decisions. We can be deceived. Can't we? Yeah, and that's uh, and that's real clear because it's it's pretty common, isn't it? Well, I'm going to start by just doing a quick review, and the review is going to be nothing more than reading five verses that we looked at from from the last two weeks, starting in First John chapter one, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you: God is light; in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Pretty straightforward. And we looked last week at this idea of sin because John is talking about the light and the dark. And he's been coming on pretty strong, using some pretty strong language here as he is addressing the church and talking to them about these folks that are in the darkness. Now, remember, in context, they're in the darkness. Why? Do you remember what happened? False teachers came in, deceived some. They left the church. And they were both spiritually and physically out of fellowship. They were out of fellowship with God and they were out of fellowship with the church. Now, that's a big deal. Think about it for just a second in the context of what it might be like, hypothetically, if that happened in this place. Because there's a lot of love and there's a lot of relationship and there's a lot of caring and there's a lot of there's a lot of interaction, isn't there? In, in this body of believers. Can you imagine that if somebody came in and was very strong and deceived some and pulled them away from us would be heartbroken? And John is telling them, yes, not only did that happen, but they're in the darkness. That's powerful. They're in the darkness. They're not in the light. And so this whole this whole letter is talking about the contrast 
between dark and light and sin and righteousness. And we're going to see even more tonight. So verse by verse. Here we go. Susan, I like to pick on you because you have the NIV and a nice booming voice. Will you read First John 2, the first six verses? First John 2, 1 through 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Right away, we see the writer of this letter, the Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit, a loving man. The apostle of love, as we, as we like to refer to him, right? Because he's talking about love all the time. And he changes, there's like, a, there's like a distinct change now in the language that he uses. Because, frankly, in the first chapter of this letter, we call it chapters, but in the first part of his letter, he was, I even sensed, um, I mean, it was, <clears throat> he was maybe even angry, I'm not sure. But he was calling them out. And all of a sudden, what's the first thing that strikes you about the very first sentence here in chapter 2, verse 1? What do you see? He's writing a letter as a father. He's writing a letter as a father. And the purpose of this letter, the reason why he's writing this letter, so they wouldn't sin. There's a, he's, coming, he's coming across now why he's writing, because before he was using this really strong language, light and dark. He's calling people out for being in the darkness. He's also saying if you do sin, you can come to me. So, um, okay. People that do sin uh, wouldn't feel like they had totally lost everything. They could come back to the Father. Okay, that's good. And he's gonna, we're going we're gonna to see that in just a second. Look at the first three words. My dear children, all of a sudden you see his heart, don't you? You see the heart of the writer here. So the Apostle John says, my dear children, all of a sudden he's like, ah, okay. So all of you parents, you've had that before, haven't you? Oh, that deep breath. My dear children, even though all this I just said, he addresses them very lovingly. and, And he says, my dear children, that's a term of what? Endearment, absolutely. So he's he just really starts to get soft all of a sudden. But does he? No, because he continues to talk about, he doesn't say it's dark and light, but it's still the dark and the light. It's still the dark and the light. So he says, my dear children, which is a term of endearment. And he says, I write this. I write what? Are you sure? See, here's the expository part. I write this. I write this letter. I write what? In the context of this letter that he's writing, he says, Dear children, I write this to you. I write what to you? What he witnessed. What he witnessed. What he just said. 
Okay, so we have to take a look at it. I write these things to you. I just talked about the light and the darkness and these and the, and the, and the Gnostics that came in and they ripped the church apart and there was all these horrific things were happening and, and it says that, that it, it, it was really all about walking in the light and, and in Him there's no darkness. And, and he says, I write all of this. Why? Okay then. So, Perfect. So he writes this letter, and the letter is going to then prevent them from sinning. No, it's giving them a guideline. Oh. They will know the difference. Okay. All right. I love it because now what he's doing here, I love this whole letter. It's quite simple, actually. The message is simple, profound, but it's simple. John, when he says something that, that is a little bit complex, we have to try to figure it out. Most of the way through this letter, he he. He expands and, and gives us the answers to, to, to what he's talking about here. And so he says that, that I'm writing you this letter because I, so that you won't sin. But wait a minute, we're sinners. Could he, uh, could, could it, I'm sure it does. It also is, is turning back to, uh, when he says that, is turning back to don't let these people deceive you anymore. It could be that because what it, what was he writing about? Truth and lies or error, light darkness. being in light or being in darkness, out of fellowship with God and with the with the church, obedience and sin or being led astray. Exactly right. And so that's what he's been writing about. And so he says that I'm writing you this so that you won't sin. And so what is he really communicating here? Just in this in this first sentence, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. You can almost feel it, can't you? You can just feel him. He's, he's just like, ah, you know, so that you won't sin. He's communicating that, hey, this sin thing is really serious because what had been happening? The people in the darkness were what? Deceiving. Deceiving. Sin. 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 It was sin. It was sin. Now, that becomes also a pretty powerful point that he's making. These people were extricated from the church following false teachers and they were deceived. And he's even going to tell us why they were deceived. And you already know the answer. Why? How do you get deceived? Because you don't know the truth. You don't know the truth. Oh my gosh, it's so straightforward, isn't it? It's so easy to get deceived. You don't know the truth, you believe anything. If you don't, if you don't put in the time, you're going to believe anything. If there's no credibility from the teacher, you'll believe anything. Now John was an eyewitness; he set that up. So I was with Jesus. It's kind of like a, a dad telling one of his children, uh, "Please don't throw your life away. <laughs> you know, don't follow these idiots that are lying to you mm. and destroy your life." And that's, and that's really hard, too, isn't it? Because sin gets in the way of listening to that kind of advice. And so what we see is John talking about the seriousness of sin. Sin is the enemy. Sin destroys fellowship with one another. I mean, come on. We have, we've probably either heard about or had this experience. Somebody is in sin and they back off. Okay. Because they feel exposed all of a sudden. And there's shame and there's guilt and there's all of that. And he says, listen, it destroys fellowship. Why? Because he says it has to be confessed. In the verses that we 
that we read last week. It has to be confessed and you can't reconcile sin with the light because why? Sin diminishes the light. If you're in sin, be careful. You could be actually in the darkness. And that's the contrast that he's that he's um, revealing to us here. But he says, but we've got to remember this. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. We we talked about that just a little bit um, last week. So. Dale came up to me and says, you know what? I want to deal with this, but not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. An excellent question. What does he mean by that? But before we get there, we have to understand that we have an advocate. And I think that we know this, but remember, this is the first century church, and, and, and John is writing this letter to them, and he says, we have an advocate. What's an advocate? A lawyer. Your case. A one that it's a legal term. Yeah. Okay, so it's like a court of law. So we have this legal term. An advocate is one that's pleading that is pleading our case. And so I, I guess we have to ask ourselves, who, who is the advocate? Jesus. Christ. Jesus is the advocate with whom? God, God the Father. He's our public defender. Wow. <laughs> now, now, you can read right past that if you want to. Because you might even know a little something about it. But I think you've got to slow the train down a little bit here. Because it's an expository process that we're going through. And theologians are never in a hurry. So that's why you guys are never in a hurry. Okay. (laughs) So we have this advocate, Jesus, with the Father. And what's he advocating? He's what? In our in our defense, in our defense of what? Of our sin. That's like. Wait a minute. Is that? Hey, Dale. You, you think that's everybody's sin? Hmm. Hmm. Who's John talking to? Who who is he writing to? Okay, believers, the church. And he says, but if anybody does sin, <coughs> hmm. Anybody? It says it's for the sins of the whole world. Oh. It says okay. But you have to be willing to accept the the the, the, the cross, Jesus, the blood, in order to receive what he. Okay, well, let's let's finish what he said then. And not only that, he says that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Wait a minute, who's he writing to? The church. He says he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The audience is who? The church, the believers. The audience is the believers. Okay? And he says that that he, who's he? Jesus. Is the atoning sacrifice... For our sins. He's an advocate to the Father. That's a legal term. Okay? There he is in court advocating on our behalf, and he is the atoning sacrifice. What does atone mean? Paying for. Paid for? Paying. Okay, paying for. 
Alright? Anybody else? Ernie, where did I go to get the definition of a tone? Probably in your 1957 Webster. <laughs> no, gotcha. I didn't go there. I just wanted to see. <laughs> so, so I went to the New Bible Dictionary, third edition, 1996, by the way. Copyright. And a tone, by definition, biblically says, bringing those who are estranged into unity. Same thing. It's essentially the same thing, it's the same concept. But the idea of atonement is to bring those who are estranged. Now, what's the, what's the context? What are we talking about here? What's the issue? Sin. Sin. Okay. And so Jesus is the advocate before the Father, and he is atoning for our sin. Okay. So he is the atoning sacrifice, and that atonement is bringing us into unity as we are estranged. From who? All of a sudden, Jesus has a pretty important role. I wonder if they understood. See, because we have the advantage, don't we? We, we have, we have 2,000 years of history. We have the complete uh, inspired word of God. And, and here's the first century church. Maybe some of them hearing this for the very first time in terms of having it be put to them in simple language that they can understand. So that can, I think, transport yourself back to the first century. Can you see that the reader of this letter is looking at this in terms of God is really for me? Because this is the first century. What might they have been thinking about this God You know, the one with the lightning bolts, the one that is wrathful, the one is angry. Yeah, no, but Jesus, this is this is see about Jesus. And now all of a sudden they're seeing that Jesus is the is the advocate. And it's he he has atoned for us. And he's the one that is that is bringing us in unity back in relationship with the Father. It's all through Jesus. It's all through Jesus. It's all through Jesus. It's all, through Jesus. all through Jesus. And that's what John is saying here. So God sent His Son, Jesus, right? To grant forgiveness? For what? To whom? Okay. So He's, he, he is, he's granting for. Wait, let's back up a second. So Jesus is granting forgiveness to whom? Anyone that will receive it. It says that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. The name, the the author, or the author, the 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 uh, recipients of this letter, or the church believers. So so Jesus is granting forgiveness to whom? Everybody. Everybody. Sinners and believers. But you have to receive it. That's correct. You have to ask for it. It's still offered to everybody. Okay. So Scotty, theologian Roland here, says that it's for all sinners. The whole world, Dale. Okay. All right. So I guess we're all going to heaven then because Jesus sacrificed for everybody. It's a done deal. Poof. Right? Uh, but this is 
This is one of the texts that would be used to support that position. You see? For everybody. But no, no, this is an expository. We've got to understand who, who's the author, who are the recipients of the letter, what is the topic, what is the issue, what is being said, what do those words mean? And you have to go back to where it says there's only one way to the Father. Okay, there's one way to the Father, and that's the Son. Why don't we ask ourselves this question? Um, why must our sins be atoned for? If an atonement is paying the price, okay, if that's what atonement means, paying the price and or bringing back into unity those that have been estranged, is a concept. Why must our sin be atoned for? Church? Because of the penalty. So, we don't have to pay the penalty. Remember, first century church, hearing this message, wait a minute, they probably got that. And Jesus atones for my sin. He's bringing me back in unity with God the Father. Because had He not done what He done, the penalty would be what? Well, up until then, they were still sacrificing lambs and stuff. Right. If they were Jewish. We see in verse 8 of the first chapter, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 9, the important one that we were looking at last week, if, as Scotty suggested, rightfully so, if we confess. Last week, I heard a message of not only confession, but repentance. There was a powerful message because confession is, is, is great and it's necessary, isn't it? But, but so is repentance, biblical repentance. See, because repentance, as we learned just last week, Amazing how these things kind of come together here. <laughs> you would think that we were talking, but we're not. Biblical repentance is not a one-off, is it? You don't repent once. We were learning last week that biblical repentance is ongoing, isn't it? And we're going to see a little bit more about that tonight. So, but it's not only for our sins, Dale. It's for the sins of the whole world. Okay, now let's stop. What does that mean? The sins of the whole world, and you said, but you have to confess and repent. And, repent. and it's for everybody, so. but there's a condition, isn't there? Okay, there's a condition. All right? Well, we understand that. Well, the, the reformers had uh, a lot of thought that they put into this question, too, and they, they answered it in kind of a succinct way. It was that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for the sins of the whole world, but not efficient. That means it doesn't work unless you uh, go through the process of what God uh, tells us. Repentance toward God and mm-hmm. toward Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, and I think that that's exactly what John is saying here. In fact, I, I think what he means by but also for the sins of the whole world um, is that we know that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. But it was also 
necessary. It was sufficient and it was necessary for sinners. And that's for all time, isn't it? So, the answer is, Dale and I had like 45 seconds last week. It's pretty hard to do it justice in 45 seconds, right? I was thinking about it all the way home. <laughs> but it was, a, I, I just, I, it was such a great question. But wait a minute, for the sins of the whole world? Well, yes, because what? John's going to tell us later in this same letter that God is love. Everything is about love. John approaches all his, John is like the gospel writer. I mean, you know, he, he talks about God's love constantly and he's a lover. John is just a, just a lover. And he got God's love. And so he sees that, that Christ's sacrifice is not only sufficient, but it's very necessary for, for whom? Everybody. Everybody. You see that? Yeah, that, the whole world. That's the crazy part about it. It's the whole world. The whole world is walking by on here. We were, we were doing something. This is, this is a couple of years ago. We were trying to figure out if we could, unscientifically, in this valley, because there's a lot of darkness in this valley. There's a lot of spiritual darkness in this valley. And so we were trying to figure out, based on all the healthy, well-balanced churches that are in this valley, and the, and the population base in this valley, and approximately what the participation or, or uh, attendance rate is of the people that were actually engaged in, in, in just going to church on a regular basis. And as we were unscientifically trying to figure that out, uh, we came up with about 10 to 10 to 15 percent of the population base. That's probably generous. Too. Probably being generous. Um, and and it's when you think about it in those terms, that's a little bit scary because the same Jesus Dale that died for you and for me, and we said thank you, Lord, and we accept that. We accept that. In this valley, there's somewhere between. 85 and 90 percent of the people that don't. Apparently, that's for God to judge, not not for us. But um, I mean, think about it, because there are adversaries, and that's what John is writing about. He's writing about these adversaries because uh, we know that that Christ's sacrifice was both sufficient and it was necessary, and then God calls people to Himself. Right? We have to make a choice, don't we? Plus and so were, he's writing to those that had made the choice, right? Plus they were teaching that, uh, you, you, if I remember right, in the, in the first of John, that you could just live your life however you wanted and you're still forgiven. You right. don't have to... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that was the whole Gnostic thought. The right. whole Gnostic thought was, this is the beginning of Gnosticism, and so that, that Gnostic thought was that, uh, whoo-hoo, I'm pretty much, I'm good to go. Right. I'm good to go. You know, matter is evil. And so they, they didn't accept Jesus um, uh, in the flesh. Okay. And so, uh, and, and we're not going to go into Gnosticism because it, it can get, there's so many different forms of it and it can get quite complicated. But the point of it is, is that the Gnostics pulled, pulled, pulled uh, what apparently uh, were people that were either, uh, that were either uh, believers or, or they were curious and they pulled them out of the church. And, and, and John has some pretty harsh things to say about them. And so then he says in verse 3 of chapter 2, we know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. What does that mean? I'm, I'm going to, because you know I'm this way. Wes? We're listening to him. Well, okay, theologian Peters 
that would be West Peters, because he's sitting next to the theologian Olivia Peters, says that what that means is we know we have, that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And that means what? We're listening to him. And what else? Obeying. And obeying. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much means what it says there, doesn't it? We've accepted. Now, but what was the church doing that John was writing to? Not keeping his commands. They wanted to go have parties, but... Man, they wanted it both ways. And sometimes, so do we. <laughs> you know? And that's a danger. That's what we have to be careful of. Because sometimes, so do we. Now, there's a big difference between sin and a license to sin and... And very willful sin, and so uh, so we had to be a little bit careful with that. But what verse three means is that is that he says we. It's all inclusive there. We know that we, church, have come to know him if we keep his commands. So what do you got to do to put yourself in the position of knowing Jesus? Obey. Okay, that's pretty cool. Now. Yesterday, I thought I'd just pull up a list of some of the commands of Jesus. <laughs> and a little check. Okay, I, I, uh, I didn't put a mirror in front of my face. I was just looking at the, at the computer, actually, um, because I didn't want to scare myself in terms of, of you know, a little test here. Okay. Uh, what, what are the commands that we would think of right off the top of our... The first ten there, huh? Yeah, those tens. Okay, well, I haven't, I haven't killed anybody lately. I haven't murdered anybody until, until you understand what that word murder means. Okay. And I haven't lately committed adultery either until you understand what that word means. And I haven't stolen anything lately until you really know what that word means. Oh. Yeah, I, mean, I think I've committed all those. And I was reading that uh, said that there are 22 commands in the in the book of um, let's see, Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. It says rejoice always. Yeah, that's a command. That's a command. Yeah, I've got some for you. Forgive everybody, and I'm going to do this in in uh, in, in the uh, in kind of the message English, okay? Um, as as opposed to the NIV uh, verses themselves. Um, so uh, forgive everybody of all their offenses against you. Okay? Forgive them all, every one of them, all of them, right now. Huh. Okay, Jesus said that, and Jesus said, "Abide in me, and let me abide in you." How are we doing on that one? Okay. Um, then he says, "Whatever causes you to sin." Get rid of it. Cut it off. Huh. All righty then. Okay. Uh, that's what Jesus said. And uh, and then he says, of course, this one's easy, right? Just love all your enemies. Everyone that has something against you, just love them as God loves them. Okay? And, um, and then, how about this? How about, go ahead, store up your treasures in heaven. Or that. Hmm. As opposed to where? Uh, My pocket. So, all right. 
I'll send my new car back. Wes, if you get rid of the vet. <laughs> That's not what it means. I'm joking. But, okay. It says, don't worry about the future, he tells us. He says, don't even worry about any of your material needs because God will take care of that. Don't worry about it. There's a person in this room that doesn't worry about that. So we have all these commands. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That's a heart check. How are we doing? Oh, so how do we mess that up? How do we mess up keeping the commands of Jesus? Because right here, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaking through the Apostle John to the church and to us as we sit here, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That's so simple, isn't it? He said to keep his commands. But we're not on our own. Okay, we can't do it on our own. That's good. And we're human. But does that give us license? No. Oh, okay. It is a fact. Of course. He, just, he was just talking about the sacrifice that was so necessary. He was talking about atonement. He was talking about... I mean, he just said that. Okay? But then he also says that, yeah, we're just going to keep his commands. How do we mess that up? Our heart, and our intent. heart. Thank you. It's a heart issue, isn't it? Because if he didn't say, Church, I printed off the checklist for you, and the big ones are in red. There they are. Okay, here it is. So don't do these, and you'll be good to go. Okay, that way, if you don't do all of these, I know that you know Jesus. That's legalism, isn't it? Yeah. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. What he's saying is... Well, what is he saying? You tell me. What does he say? Jesus will do it for us. <sighs> or at least help. Yeah. yeah, so the issue is, oh, you're a sinner. Okay. You said that atonement meant bringing two parties together. So, Jesus will do it for us as long as we let him. And what is our responsibility in that? Abiding, Abiding and confessing and Obey. repenting. Okay, that's the only way you're going to obey. You can't do this on a legalistic point of view. You can't do it because you're a sinner. There's one of those that I read off. I haven't possible in our own strength. And so he says, but it's a heart issue, you see, because you either know of Jesus, Wes and I, another one, we had this conversation very recently, you can go a long time, and you can know, you can know about Jesus, you can know of Jesus, because if it's a checklist item, you don't know Jesus. Your motive is all wrong. If it's a heart issue, and every time you, even though we have these commands, and every time you slip one up, and you're, oh, Lord. See, that's heart. That's not checklist. And that's, what, is, what does Jesus want of us? Yeah, he just wants us. How much of us does he want? And that's what he's saying. 
And so, because we have to finish this in the next verse, it says, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is what? Oh, 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 oh man. I'd rather be a sinner than a liar, but I think a lie is a sin. But he says that if you don't do what he commands, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Wow. That's the negative. But there's a positive too, isn't there? What's the positive? Okay, someone read verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's right. If anyone, in the Greek, anyone means anyone. anyone. <laughs> so if anyone obeys his word. Alright? So Dale, I love it. So Christ died for everybody. The sins of the entire world. That means the most hideous person that you can ever imagine that ever walked the face of this earth. Christ died for that person too. And God does not distinguish between his love for any of us. It's the same. But we are all that hideous. We have the nature. We have the potential, don't we? It says if you commit one, you commit them all. That's right. So, we have to be very careful in judging, too. Uh oh. (laughs) Okay, here comes a Pandora's box about to be opened. What does that mean? Well, you said we had to be careful, so thank you for thank you for putting it in those terms. I've I've always said that that in our humanity we judge sin on an up and down scale. (laughs) You have lying, you have murder, you have rape, and God's a straight line. Exactly. Thank you for going there. I thought you were going to go someplace else with judgment. But that's okay. You're absolutely right. Sin is sin is sin. I think we can keep it that simple, can't we? I mean, sin is sin is sin. It doesn't really matter. Sin is sin is sin. And yet, we have people that act it out, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Probably no mass murderers in the group that I'm aware of. Unless somebody has a secret in here. <laughs> I repented. Okay, you repented. <laughs> Those darn gophers anyway, right? So, so the point is in verse 5, he says, but, uh, you know, but and if and, and when and, you know, and because and all those, I love those words because it makes me sit up and take notice. And, you know, so we, it, this is expository, but matters. But, the but is that he just came off of telling us that if you don't do what he commands, you're a liar. If you've said that you know him. Remember, these are people in the darkness. They're in the dark saying, oh, I know Jesus. But then they act in a way that makes you say, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. God's word calls him a liar. No, you say you know Jesus and you act that way? I'm glad God's word calls him a liar. That's what he calls him. But then he says, but if anyone, which means anyone, obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. It's another test. I love this. This is the positive side. You want to see how you're doing? Yes. Ask yourself regularly. How am I doing with the Lord? 
Okay, read that verse. Do you obey in His Word? Do you love Him? Because He first loved you and me? I mean, how are you doing with that, really? Yeah? Are you willfully in sin or not? Are you asking for forgiveness? Are you repenting? It's kind of simple. But not easy. Simple, but not easy. So we see here that that it's 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 obvious by your conduct where you stand. That's what John's trying to trying to communicate here. So I, I, I love this this word that says complete in the NIV. It says if you obey his word, love for God is truly made complete. But I'll bet if I ask the question which you know I'm going to, we would get different answers. Because what does that mean? What does complete mean? How is God's love truly made complete by those of us that are obeying Him? What does complete mean? Walk as Jesus did. What, excuse me? Walk as Jesus did. Okay, walk as Jesus did. Is that what complete means? Because verse 6 says that whoever claims to live in Him must live or walk as Jesus did. So, so is you want to stay there with complete? I mean, I, I, yeah. to sacrifice our life for him, okay. Sacrifice for us. Okay. In the context, it says, "But if anyone obeys his word, I'm going to change it." Isn't it awesome that you all are obeying his word, and now your love for God is truly made complete? Does that mean it's finished? No, it means that other people can see your walk. Okay. I have uh, this the Amplified Translation here, which maybe sheds a little bit of light on it. Do it. But he who keeps, or some of these are in parentheses, uh, but he who keeps treasures, that means his word, who bears in mind his precepts, who observes his message in its entirety, somebody ought to hear that, truly in him has the love of God and for God, and for God has been perfected, completed, reached maturity. By this we may perceive or know or recognize and be sure that we are in him. And that's probably pretty good and pretty close from my point of view, but reached maturity is the wrong part of what you just read because the Greek word is teleo, which means it's a process of growth and maturity. So being in obedience to Jesus and the commands of Jesus is a process and it is the sanctification process and we're going through it and we are working towards this maturity, this completeness, but it's a process. It's not an arrival point. You're not going to get there. Okay? So it's not complete maturity. Okay? Because you are not going to be completely mature according to what the Word of God teaches. It is a process and we're in this life we are in being obedient to God's word. We're in the process. Okay? And I like, to look, I like to think about it this way. Non-biblical, but I like to think about it this way. So in my maturing process, I'm like three steps up. Whoops. One or two back. Oh, 
Four or five steps up. Uh-oh, one back. You know, and, and I have to repent. I have to confess. But, but that's, the, that's the process. By, by nature, that's the process. That's the way God has it set up. So this being made complete is, again, not an arrival point. It is definitely a, a, a maturity issue. It's a process. And of course, then verse 6 says, whoever claims to live or abide in him, what's the next word? Must. I like words. Okay. So what does verse 6 say? And what does it mean? Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to read it. I'm going to tell you what it says. But I would like you to help me understand what it means. It says, whoever claims to live or abide in Christ must live as he did. Okay? It means what it says. It means what it says. Okay? It's pretty clear English. Okay, could you paraphrase it for me? By putting Olivia's words to it as opposed to the NIV writer's <laughs> words Those to it? Those people that claim to be a believer mm-hmm. in Christ must or have to uh, follow the teachings that Christ taught and live as he lived. Yep. Okay, live like Jesus did. Which also means to confess and repent. Which also means just what it says here, must walk as Jesus did. Yeah, and in the context of this letter, it says, it's, it's really kind of simple, because I'm, I'm thinking about it in the context of the letter and the application to us. In the context of the letter, it's a, hey, just be in the light. Just walk like Jesus did. Just be in the light. Okay, so John is contrasting the church being in the light to those that were in the darkness. They weren't abiding in Christ. But they were claiming to. Interesting. They were claiming to, but they weren't. So, if you claim to abide in him, just live as he did. It's kind of like, if you want to look like a duck, you need to act. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Then that, that poses a couple of questions. I hope in your mind, too. Not about ducks. Okay. But about Christians. Okay. So, who in the room is claiming to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian? Well, we're all in the sanctification process. Wait a minute. Okay. Because <laughs> we always default there. Well, Olivia made a very valid point. It means exactly what it says. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, just like like Jesus did. Okay? There's no hidden meaning here. Okay, so the question is, who's claiming? Okay, so pretty much everybody raises their hand. I, I sure hope so. Okay, so then, how do you then live as Jesus did? Hmm. You don't. Why not? You have to know him, have a relationship with him. Okay. You won't know how to try to live like Amen. So there it is. So it's all. It's about the relationship. It's about the heart issue. It's about knowing. You're not. You can start. Many people come to Christ with from an intellectual pursuit. Okay, who is this guy? You know? Then they're done that. I understand. And yet and yet it's the relationship that God wants to have with us, right? And so it's the heart issue, not the checklist of the commands and the to do's and the not to do's. It's the want to do's. I want to. Do I always do? No. 
Do I want to? Yes. Am I in the completing process? Absolutely being mature. God whacks me up the side of the head on a pretty regular basis. Don't know about you. Okay, That's how I learn. It takes pain. But God does not have that. Okay. But what? God doesn't have a, a whacker. <laughs> right? <laughs> no lightning bolts, Bill? No, 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 no lightning bolts. But, but what he has, he has conviction through the Holy Spirit, you see, because my heart is like, just like your heart. There's nobody's heart in here that's any different. We want to conform, don't we? Don't we want to be like Jesus? Don't we want to live like he lived? Don't we want to abide in him? As he is in us, and don't, of course, uh, otherwise we wouldn't be here. We just wouldn't be here. We need to have a heart that desires to be more like Jesus. That's it. I mean, that's uh, where our heart is, even when we we fail. That's right. Our our second thought, because of our heart, should be forgiving the Lord. Right. That's what's so powerful about the message on Sunday because when we were talking about biblical repentance, not just not just asking for forgiveness when I don't measure up to the way Jesus would have me to measure up. Okay. Well, that's a regular thing. I, I, I need to ask for forgiveness. But the repentance is that turning 180 degrees, which I, I love that because it's, it's what? It's turning to Jesus. Because the more I'm turned there, the more I'm focused there, the more I'm, I'm vertical there... The, the, I mean, sin doesn't even have a chance. It doesn't even have a chance. I mean, it comes in. I'm not saying we don't sin. But what I'm saying is, is that as we abide in Christ, guess what? Whose benefit? To whose benefit is it to do that? Ours. Our it's, our it's our benefit. Not only ours, people around us. Yeah. Would you read the next few verses? First John two seven through eleven. Dear friends. I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It's and you, because the darkness is happening, and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And whoever and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I love the example. You know, we, we used that example a couple of weeks ago. Um, I like parables and I like examples like that because it's so, it's so clear. Okay, uh, and, and because John is the apostle of love, it's only natural for him, what? To use an example of love and hate. <laughs> and so, and I guess I love that. <laughs> so, um, so here, here we see in this in, in this verse seven, it says, "Dear friends, there he is again, little children." Ah, dear friends, who's he talking to? Okay, and so he says, "Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one." What's the old command? To love, 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 love. So John, always talking about love, always talking about love. I'm going to really be interested to meet him. Just always talking about love. God's love. Love for one another. That's John. We, we would do well to follow that lead. <laughs> so he says, okay, so the, so, so the message that we had heard from the beginning is, is, is about love. In fact, uh, if you look, in, I don't know in your Bible, but in mine, I had a cross-reference, and I, I like cross-references, so the Scripture can... can um, 
can uh, confirm itself. If you want to turn there, it's on the. It's, you don't even have to turn. It's on the same page, probably in your Bible. It is on mine. First John three, eleven says, what? First uh, John three, verse eleven. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. When when did we hear that? From the beginning. Okay, so he says, dear friends, I'm no, that's not a new command here. You've had this since the very beginning. Okay? This is the same John that, that wrote the Gospel, right? And in the Gospel, John says, hey, uh, you know, we should love one another. And in, in, in this letter, this epistle, he says, hey, from the beginning, you know, we should, we should be loving one another. And it's, it's all about loving one another. And so these people that, that, that bailed out on us, and they went off, and they're in the darkness, and they say, oh, no, they're, they're, they're abiding in Christ. Uh, uh, but they hate you. They hate you for what you believe. They hate the church. I love that. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Well, that's impossible. You cannot, you cannot living and be abiding in Jesus and following his commands if you say that I love Jesus, but I, but I hate the church. I hate the brother. Sorry. Or, or hate anybody. Right. Anybody. Doris. You know, that verse 11 is the first Bible verse that I ever read with the idea of finding something to throw at my brother. One day and I were having a fight and I thought, I don't like him. I'm going to find something. I opened the book and the first verse I saw was, he who hates his brother is in darkness. And now I know why we always say at the beginning of the church, God is good. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't throw anything at him, did you? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, this message that they'd heard from the beginning was all about love. And of course, in First in John, you have to turn there. Same same letter. First John four eight. It says, it says what? God is love. And then you know what's 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 the other big love passage in the in in, in the Bible that that we see at the football games all the time? John three sixteen. For God. So love, it's, it's, it's all about love. It's all about love. It's all about love. You know, God, God loves us. Wouldn't it be cool if everybody just got that? Man, there wouldn't be anybody in prison. We'd have to sell those buildings or something because, you know what I mean? I mean, if we just understood that God loved us and if we would respond to that. Even church, we need to do that. We just need to respond. That's, that's what John's talking about. Just respond to that. Just respond to the love. However, verse 8 says, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, this is an expository study that we're doing here. And we got to figure out what this means, don't we? Because how can John say that there's not a new command in verse 7 and then in verse 8 he turns right around and he's clearly writing a new command. A new command. Now, wait a minute. Does that make you scratch your head just a little bit? I'm not writing you a new command, but here's a new command. <laughs> now, if you're not studying Scripture and you're just reading it, that would be one like, I'll come back to that. <laughs> you know, I'll just come back to that. Because all of a sudden, Olivia, the, the one that you were talking about just a little bit earlier, the, the, the verse, it said, well, it's pretty simple. Right? It just says what it means. But this one, I think we need to kind of tear this one apart a little bit if we're going to understand it. Because on the surface, it's a little confusing. 
I'm not writing you a new command, but here's a new command. Okay? So how are we going to do that? Because this is where expository teaching, preaching, studying, this is where it really comes to fruition. Here it is. Okay? This is a perfect example of what expository studying is all about. Okay? Timmy, you got something? Well, I was just going to say, my first thought is that it's because something's happening. That's why it's a new command. The thing that's happening is the darkness is passing away. Okay. Okay, he does say that that darkness is passing away. But let's take a look at it just one word at a time. We, have, we really have these two verses. We have verse 7 and verse 8. Now, I, I want you to just, on your own, I want you to read verse 7. Just read it, right? Go ahead and read it if, it's, if you've got it open. First John, chapter two, verse seven. Okay, Just read it to yourself. Now we answered the question. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which is love, love, love. Yet. Okay, we'll get there. Yet, let's just work the look one word at a time. <laughs> Yet, it's, it's what you is what you have heard. Okay. It's, it's a, a command you have heard, and this one you, you will. Yeah, but what he said in verse seven. In verse seven, I'm not writing you a new command, but in verse eight he says, "Yet I'm writing you a new command." Yet, as in, however. Oh, yet, okay. However. Pay attention. On the other hand, okay, now, I want you to read verse 8 very slowly, and I want you to count the first 17 words of that verse. Just the first 17 words, don't go past that. And read them very slowly. Yet, I... Am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Stop. Anything jump out at you? Truth. Okay, truth. Anything else? It's seen in Jesus and it's seen in us. Perfect. It's truth. And where's the truth? It's seen in Jesus. And, church, it's seen in you. Okay. Alright. What truth? What's the truth he's talking about? Love. It's the truth he's talking about is love. He says, it's, I, here it is. I'm writing you, I, I'm not writing you a new command. Yet, yet, this isn't a new command. This is not a new command. He says, I am writing you a new command. Wait a minute. He's not writing us a new command? He says he's writing us a new command. <laughs> he says, its truth is seen. The truth is love, right? God's love. Is seen in who? Him. Jesus and y'all, us all. Followers of Jesus, okay? 
See, that's what makes it new. What makes it new is not the command, it's the fulfillment of the command. It's not a new command, it is the fulfillment of the command. Its truth is seen, God's love is seen in Jesus and you. See how it all fits together? He was just talking about, hey, if you're going to abide in Christ, if you're going to be in the light, just, just live like he did. How tough is that? Simple, but hard. So, so what they're saying is is that um, God was saying this, but then when Jesus came, He was the fulfillment he, of it. Is and that, you, right? He is that what? And you, right. and that's the point. The point is, what's new is the fulfillment of the command, not the command. The fulfillment of the command. Jesus came in love with the sacrifice, everything that we know about. The atonement, oh, the whole nine yards. We get all of that. And then John is talking to them about, remember, it's light and dark. And then he's saying, so guys, just live as Jesus did. And guys, see the truth. You, wanna, you, wanna, you want people to know the truth? Let them see it. It's in Jesus and you in love. That's the truth. See, it's manifest in you. As you obey Jesus. It's manifest in you. And me. That's where it's manifest. And his, and his word is not only manifest in love, but it's made complete in your maturing process, in your sanctification process. There's no license to, do, to, to, to sin in any of this, but that's what those in darkness were advocating. We can do anything we want. No, you can't. If you do, you're a liar. Because you're saying you're abiding in Christ. But no, you're not. No, we're not saying that. But that's, that's, what, that's what God is saying. Wow. He's talking to the church. That's us. He's talking to the church. See, that, that's, that's pretty rich. Amen? That's, that's rich stuff. Okay, it's no new command. I, I don't have to love any more than I've already been told to love. I only have to live like Jesus lived. I, I, I get all of that. And, and, it's, and, and that truth, the truth of who God is, God is love. The truth of who that is, is manifest in Jesus and us. That's not to put pressure on us. That's to give us freedom. It's about freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ. Because he paid the price. Right? So we don't have to. We just have to abide and be in the light. Verse 9 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. There's the example. Remember the context. The false teachers were saying, Woohoo! We're followers of Jesus. But we hate y'all. <laughs> I mean, these are incompatible. The contrast is clear. You can't, that, that's impossible. When you run across those kinds of people... Run. Run from those kinds of people. So when he talks about hate, what is that? What is hate? It's not loving. Hate is not loving. Okay. And how do we love? Start there. We <laughs> start by loving Jesus. Why? Everyone. Huh? Okay. And everyone else. Yes. 
what he said. Just love me and love everybody else. Abide in me. Turn to me. Pretty much all this stuff will take care of itself. You're not going to have time to hate anybody if you're loving Jesus. I mean, essentially, that's a pretty simple and basic message, isn't it? But Matthew 5 says, uh, in verse 43, you don't have to turn that. You have heard it said, you've heard this before. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? You know, flip it right upside down. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, God's love is for everyone. God died for everybody's sin, the sin of the whole world. It's what you choose to do with it that matters. But in, in, in God's economy, it was for everybody. His, his, his love is, 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 is indiscriminate. It's, it's perfect. In all cases, for everyone. Hebrews 1.9 says that you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. There's that word. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Psalm 45, 7 says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Isn't that the same one? Apparently, the writer of Hebrews knew his Bible, didn't he? There he was, the writer of Hebrews. was really familiar with the Psalms. Probably had it memorized. I don't know. <coughs> Revelation 2, 6 says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices, fill in the blank, of anybody that isn't a lover of Jesus. You hate all of those practices, which I also hate. But biblical hate is always directed where? Practices, not people. Love your enemies. Love everybody. Love Jesus. Love everybody. Okay? Especially the brethren. That's what John is talking about in this letter. It's like, come on, guys. This is the church. You can't say you hate your brother. If you are, you're not in the light. That's, I mean, it's a powerful message. And hate is present where the deeds of love are absent. Because love is an action word. We say that all the time around here. Right? People do all kinds of stuff in this little church with, with one another and care about one another and do things for one another. And, I mean, it's like a real family. Okay? And because those are, those are deeds of love. Because love isn't neutral. Love is only forward. Hate is reverse. Hate is backwards. Love is not neutral. It's only forward. And of course, love that's unexpressed because it's a verb, you know. And if you don't express your love, uh, you better ask yourself whether you have it. Because we're told to love one another. Verse 10 says that anyone who loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Now there's a positive test of whether or not we're living in the light. <laughs> Anyone who loves his brother. I said this last week, I think we were talking about taking communion. You really study communion and what it is. And the Bible says, hey, you got anything against any of your brothers or your sisters? Stay in your seat. Don't take it. 
How can you do that in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ when you got something against a brother? Because if you got something against your brother, you better check your heart first. And secondly, you, you, you have no business. Now, most of us don't hate our brothers. <laughs> our brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? But I wonder sometimes about the ones that aren't so lovable. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's where it hurts a little, I think. What about the ones that aren't so lovable? Brethren or not? <clears throat> he says that there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Stumble what? Can you stumble into darkness? Sin and don't confess it. Or okay. I wonder if he's talking about stumbling by doing what John is calling these false teachers out on. And don't remember, don't forget, it wasn't just the false teachers. There were people in the church that left with them. They went with them. They didn't know the truth. They weren't abiding in Christ. They got deceived because they didn't know. Oh, I know Jesus of him. There's a huge difference, isn't there? Knowing of Jesus and knowing Jesus. And that's what he wants. He simply just wants us to know. Hey, let's have this love relationship with the God of the universe. (laughs) Okay, woohoo, let's do that. Teaching us how to do it. But whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Wow. I think John is... What is John concluding? What's he concluding? Well, it comes back to you better be loving. Yeah. If you said that's his... If you said one word to describe John... Yeah, relationships are important, you see, because if you're hating anybody that is that is... That is in the that is in the church. If you're hating anybody that's a, that's a that's a brother or a sister in Christ, uh, John is saying that that pretty much that renders your life worthless. I mean, really, because you're in the darkness. And so, can you stumble into the darkness? Ooh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if you can stumble into the darkness as a believer. Can can you hate a a, a brother or a sister in Christ? Oh, we're very capable of that. We're capable of it. Okay. Can we? Yes. Should we? No. Of course not. And we shouldn't hate anyone. Anyone. There should be no hate in us. There should be no hate. What can we hate? There's the practices. I hate that. We have to be careful, too, when, say, say if someone does something against you, that, that you're holding animosity or anger towards. If you go to them and and ask forgiveness and say you're sorry, we can't allow our love and our forgiveness to worry about the response they give back. Absolutely. Because if they don't accept it in the right way, we can't go back into anger. Not your issue. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we got to be careful on that because the, their response can put us right back where we were just trying to get out of. It's it's that same thing I was talking to Dale about last week. You know, does that mean the sin of the whole world, like like everybody? Because that's a hard one to grasp, isn't it? Because there's some bad people out there, 
And God loves them desperately. I'm talking desperately not wanting one of them to even perish. It's the only reason I can think of that he's waiting so long. Because he's so desperate for them to come to saving faith and knowing Jesus. Wow. But if he didn't have love for those people too, then then that's not true love. It's agape love. And he has love for them and guess what? Guess what? They're blowing him off and it doesn't change him a bit. By nature, he can't be changed, right? And and then we're told in 1 John, he'd be like that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Praise God for the power of the Holy Spirit because there's not a one of us capable of that. Not a one of us. Scotty? In uh, 3.14 it says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Could he be referring to the death being walking in darkness apart from God and the light walking in with God? Of course. You know, that's of, cal- of course, and death to life, is that it's, 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 there's a spiritual connotation of that. Amen? 1 John 2, 12-14 says this, I write to you, dear children, and that dear children is uh, technia, which means the church congregation. He's going to say this twice in these two verses here. And and children, he uses two different words. And so he says, I write to you, dear children. That's the church congregation as a whole. So put yourself in that place. Okay. so John is saying, hey, church, I'm writing this to you because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. Full assurance, church, your sins are forgiven. Yes, because remember, they were getting kind of, excuse my language, jerked around. Okay, because the false teaching in the church came in very early. There were some people that were quite unhappy with this whole Jesus thing. And so he says, you can be fully assured. And then he says, I write to you, fathers. Fathers of the church. Fathers. Fathers of children. Fathers. Of those that are farther along in the faith? Hmm. Interesting. Not sure. I don't know. But he says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him. Not of him. Remember, Wes? Remember when you knew of Jesus? And then something happened, and then you oh, oh, I now know Jesus. And you're knowing him a little bit more all the time, just like the rest of us, right? right. Sanctification, you're growing in that, in that knowledge. You're growing in that love. Okay, he doesn't say, I write to you, fathers, because you know him, not of him, you know him, who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, remember he's writing to the church here, because you have overcome the evil one. Then he says it again, verse 14. I write to you, dear, dear children, This word in the Greek is the word that means uh, you that are less mature in your faith, uh, even infants. The inference is to infants, but certainly to those that are immature or even subordinate in terms of the hierarchy of the church. So I write to you, dear children, those of you that are in that position, because you know the Father. You know the Father. And he says one more time, I write to you, fathers... 
because you know him who is from the beginning. He repeats this. Anything repeated in Scripture, we should pay attention to. We should pay attention to all of it, but we should pay attention particularly when it's repeated. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. Why are they strong? I'm going to, I'm forever now going to call this an Olivia moment again because it's simple, isn't it? Because it says, it means what it says. It, they're strong because the word of God lives in them. How does the word of God live in them? May, forget that. How does the word of God live in us? And, and what else? And getting his word into us. Get into the word of God and let the word of God get into you. I, uh, not original with me. I've heard that and I've used that many, many years now. It, because if you want to be strong, it will be because the word of God lives in you. That way, when the false teacher rolls in here and says, hey, I want to become an elder in this church and I'm going to serve and I'm going to do all that kind of stuff. And the next thing you know, I start to twist and you get him in on a Wednesday night and he's pulling you around like, and you don't know what you're talking about. And all of a sudden you're off in the hinterland in the darkness. That's what happened. <laughs> scary because you weren't in the word of God. That's scary, guys, in the church today. The big churches that are the mega churches and not mega churches aren't all, all bad. But I'm just talking about the ones that go soft on the gospel or completely take the gospel out of church. And it's all about self-help and or they take the authority of the word of God and they just they just strip it down. So there's no authority in the word of God. And so now it doesn't mean anything anymore. And it's just whatever the guy sitting up here says. I don't think so. That's what was happening. They were strong because they were in the word of God and they have overcome the evil. That's a, I, say that again. How else can you be in the light? You've got to ingest the light. Hmm. I like it. Walk in the light. Live in the light. Be in the light. Yeah, because the contrast is the darkness. Okay? And it's the, it's the word of God. Getting it in us. The love of Christ in us. You see, because he said earlier, what? It's not a new command. Hey! It's you and Jesus. Yeah, it's you, it's you and Jesus. The crazy thing is, is that John was saying that, hey, the love of Jesus... And, and your love for Jesus, as it is manifest out there, that's the light. That's the light. Woo-hoo. Just go around. Hold up, hold up the bulb. You're in the light. People should see that. They do. The lights are on in here. and People see us here on a Wednesday night, and we could be doing something entirely different, couldn't we? Scotty said on Sunday night, I love this. He said, we, we were at Delta Group, and Scotty was in, in... He wasn't supposed to be there because they went to Camarillo. Oh, it's okay, I didn't get permission for this. But, um, and so he shows up at Robert's house on Sunday night, and everybody says, what are you doing here? He said, I want, I want to be here. <laughs> I, want to, I, I like to be here. I want to be here. I need to be here. And it doesn't even matter that the, that the Green Bay Packers are on. <laughs> Blew up the Packers game. Because it was more important to him. Ah, the Packers, you could tape it and watch it later and read it by the paper, whatever. 
You know what I mean? But and they they were also losing, so yeah, they got they got beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he didn't know that at the time. That's right. He he didn't know that at the time. So John acknowledges the assurance that they and we have in Christ. Amen. And it's just that that okay. So we should break out on a chorus of blessed assurance, shouldn't we, Robert? I mean, blessed assurance. What's the rest of it? Uh, okay. I love that. And that's what, he, that's what he's talking about here. It's, it's our assurance. And so it's not only what Jesus did in the past, because this was past tense until he gets to verse 14. What did Jesus do in the past for? What did Jesus do in the past for us? What did we do in the past? Jesus paid it all in the past. We accepted that, didn't we? We came to Christ in the past. But... The reality is he brings it right into the present tense and he says, but you're strong and the word of God lives in you. See, these are present tense words now. And so now all of a sudden it's not living in the past. Man, you can't live in the past. Okay, we can embrace it, but we can't live back there. What we got to do is we got to go forward because abiding in Christ, according to this letter that John is writing to the church, is saying that, hey, it's Jesus and you. You're in the light. So shine. (laughs) Just shine. It's okay. Just shine. These, do you think they got it? Do you think that this letter, they read this letter, somebody got up in church, I'm now going to read the letter from the Apostle John. Do you think that the congregation in the first century said, oh yeah, man, that makes all the sense in the world. I would hope some of them did. They did through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like it's happening right now. Okay, because they were going through the sanctification process, too. They were maturing. They were becoming complete. Okay. They were maturing in the process. But man, they had a long ways to go. There were nobody in that room, if it was a room, was any different than any of us. It's just that they're now older than we are. That's all. It's a different time in history. That's all it is. And so uh, <laughs> this present tense, I think, matters. And, and we're going to stop there, and it's really a bummer because now I'm going to make you think about, for the rest of the week, this next part of the passage, that we call it a passage, but this next part of John's letter where he talks about the world. So the homework assignment is just to take verses 15, 16, and 17, and... Study them. Even if you do it next Wednesday at 4.30 in the afternoon, it's okay. Because it seems as though John completely takes a departure here and makes a hard left turn. Because he's talking about, there's a lot of positive things that he's talking about. The church here, he's, 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 he's given us a clear indication that, that, we can, that, that our salvation is secure, that, that, that we, we have all these assurances, and it's, it's, it's confirmed, it's strong, we're in the light, contrasting it to those that are in the darkness. Just abide in Christ, just live in Him, right? And then he says, but don't love the world or anything in it. It's like, I've always looked at this and thought, man, that's a weird thing to say right in the middle of all this other stuff. And yet, if you look at it, if you'll study that a little bit this week, just read it a few times through, you're going to see that what John is doing is he's talking about this abiding. And now we're going to look next week at the beginning of real practical application. 
that gets so messed up because when I tease you about the vet, when I tease you about it, right. that's where that's where we would go. Oh, you can't love the world. A, a vet is of the world. This gets so oh misinterpreted because we've got to keep it in context because context is what? Everything. Context is everything. And we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to be in the light and then you show us in real practical ways what that looks like, which is just abiding in you. Living for you, living in you, turning to you, loving you, loving each other. Simple, profound, and yet not easy. Because we're sinners, Lord. So Lord, as we, as we go through the process of thinking about these things and meditating on these things, thank you for how, God, you have sent the Counselor of the Holy Spirit, God, to help us. Because frankly, without that, we couldn't get it. So this week, I pray, God, that you would just help us to be complete, mature in our walk with you. And mostly, I pray, God, that each one of us would be used of you, God, to be a light, a beacon. That as we walk in the light, that people would see that we are the light. So that you would be glorified, God. And that those that are in the darkness would see that they need to come to the light. So however you work in and through our lives this week as we meditate on what this letter from John is telling us what you want us to hear. Lord, we're going to just depend on you. We're going to count on you. We're going to we're going to accept, God, that it is in and through you and only you that these things could happen in our lives. And we want to thank you for that. Because quite frankly, Lord, it's it's humbling. And yet it's exciting at the same time. So thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you, God, how your truths are so meaningful to us and how you mature us and how we interact with others that need to know you. So help us with that. Get us home tonight safely, Lord. And we will give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory that you deserve. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.